following is a production of the Event Safety Alliance. Hello and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we are going to talk about safety and education and a little bit about reopening. And we are joined by the most fabulous human, Christy Ross Clausen. And Christy, tell us all why I think you're so great. Um, I think it's because I'm probably the most eclectic theater person you'd ever come across. <laughs> I, I do everything from working with K-12 schools all the way up to doing Broadway tours and working with professionals. And I love it at all the levels. And to be a little more specific, I know from following you on social media that you're involved with the IA and Equity and Avixa and several other things. You seem to be just everywhere and you know everyone and I every time I friend someone you are our mutual contact (laughs) (laughs) well I don't know everybody in the world but I do know a lot because along the way I've met some really wonderful people and that's probably the best thing about working in the performing arts is you meet the most fabulous people yeah I have been a member of IATC IATSE since 1990. I've been a stage manager with Actors' Equity since 2011. Um, I've taught at university, so I've been involved with uh, IRTA. I've been involved with USITT, started a student chapter of USITT. Um, I was a thespian when I was in high school and was a member of the International Thespian Society. Now I'm a retired member officially because I'm old enough that I'm officially retired from teaching, but I now work in an AV company, so that got me involved with the VIXA a couple of years ago. And I realized about two years ago that all of these different organizations were doing a lot of the same things when it came to safety, but they weren't talking with one another. They weren't sharing information, they weren't sharing resources, and they didn't realize that they had colleagues who were analogs in the other organizations. So a great part of my life in the last two years has been saying, hey, you should talk to David Gaddy out in Las Vegas because he's amazing when it comes to video things. And you should talk with the folks at Avixa because their foundation has things that you can use in your classroom. And you should talk with EDTA because they've got really great safety things that they're putting together. So getting folks to share resources and work together. And now with the Event Safety Alliance, being involved with that also, it's just really a fabulous life. (laughs) Well, thank you for being the nexus of all the people and the knowledge. So one of the, the foundational bricks of the Event Safety Alliance is safety through culture change. I mean, it's absolutely one of the one of the first things is this is a movement to to change the way we feel and think that it's just it's it's part of the cake. It's baked in. It's not something that we add on at the end as an afterthought. As that mission is, education is another foundational stone, which is part of why we wanted to talk to you today about how we get things into the educational mix. You know, I know I've gone and I've talked to elementary school kids and middle school kids and high school kids and, uh, but, you know, just in my region and not even all of them because, you know, it's sort of hard to get to every single school. Right. So how do you think we can go ahead and, and get into education? Well, I became involved with theater safety because of an accident that happened in a school about 25 years ago. There was a young lady named Tasha Shu who was in her high school uh, musical. And in Wisconsin, most of the high school musicals are taught by the choir teacher, not somebody who's a certified theater teacher, but someone who's got experience being on stage and who knows their way around things, at least we hope. 
In Tasha's case, they had gone to a small vaudeville house in Minnesota because her high school did not have a theater. So they rented this little community theater building and they were doing The Wizard of Oz. Someone opened the trap in the floor. Tasha took one step backward and fell 16 feet onto the cement floor down below. As a result of that, she spent six months in a coma. She was at the Mayo Clinic. She finally recovered as much as she's going to recover, but she's uh, quadriplegic. She has moderate use of her arms to be able to steer her wheelchair. But I, I looked at what happened and thought, oh my gosh, if this can happen with the situation that she was in. Her choir director is somebody I've known for years. We went to college together. I'd seen him on stage hundreds of times. I'd been on stage with him. If that can happen to somebody with that much knowledge, it can happen to me. How do I keep that from happening? I would never want that to happen to a student or anybody else that I'm involved with. So that's how I originally got involved. And there was a guy named Dr. Randall Davidson who started a group called Isetza. And his idea was, High school theaters produce more, high schools produce more theater than any other entity in the USA. We've got roughly 30,000 secondary schools. If you're looking at middle and high schools, both public and private, we've got millions and millions of students who are involved in performances there, theater, music, dance, the whole gamut. How do we keep them safe? So he started ISETSA. And we had one national gathering. So um, when I saw ESA come online a few years ago, I went, yay, they're doing it for the concert world because we tried to do it for the high school and it just didn't take off the way that we had hoped it would. But like you say, it's a culture shift. People are paying more attention. On the professional side, when I walk into work now, I'm wearing a hard hat. I didn't do that five years ago. Um, I have steel-toed shoes. I didn't always do that. So it's changing the culture. It's changing the understanding of what can happen. And it's figuring out what risks we're willing to accept, what risks are reasonable to accept, and where we're going to draw the line in the sand and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't care that that's how it's been done for 50,000 years. <laughs> we are not going to do that anymore. I so, love that one thing. We've always done it this way. Yeah. Well, we were lucky all those times. That's amazing. <laughs> no, we're going to do it a different way now because it's better. <laughs> exactly. So when I was teaching, and part of being a teacher is you get your master's degree because that's how you get a better salary and also gives you more knowledge to be a better teacher. So my master's thesis is on safety knowledge of high school teachers in Wisconsin. And I was talking with Monona Russell, another fabulous theater safety person. And she said, well, how are you going to figure out what the teachers know? So, well, how do you figure out what students know? You give them a test. So a little 10-question quiz sent out to all of the public school theater teachers in the state of Wisconsin had about a quarter of them respond, which is a good response rate. But the results of the test were pretty abysmal. Of that 10 questions, and it was really basic stuff like, how do you run a counterweight system? What happens when you're working at height and you drop something? What should you say? Um, what should you do when you've got a pit or a trap? You know, how, how do you mark the edge? Those kinds of things. Uh, the average score was three out of 10. Oh, that's horrifying. But I will say, the knock on wood, the one time in my life I've been on stage for a, a counterweight runaway was when I was in high school. Oh, no. Yeah. And I was on stage and my theater teacher was an actor and he taught AP history. Sure. And, and it was a double purchase counterweight system. Go back to our counterweight rigging thing if you don't know what that is. Uh, we did a pot on that. Um, and it went 
and then crashed back down to the deck and nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt, which was great. You're lucky. Um, <laughs> we were lucky. Uh, but I was on stage. I was right there and I had no idea. None of this had ever been covered. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, it is a sound that I now have internalized, you know, from the time when I was 16 or something like that. And I'm oh, yes. much older than that now. Um, <laughs> but school theaters and college theaters, to be honest, because um, student groups put on shows and they don't necessarily have any safety knowledge. And if, and if it's an auditorium that's just run by the music department or facilities opens it up for the kids to go in and nobody's making sure that they're aware of the hazards that are there or how to properly run it. That's, that's how things happen. That's, you know, and, and orchestra pits, frankly, even if you're a professional and have worked around them, orchestra pits are just a huge hazard. And, and it's so easy to mitigate that risk. There are nets that you can get that will stretch over the top of the orchestra pit. So if you were to fall off the stage, you're not going to fall into something that's going to hurt you. And they're not horribly expensive. You know, even things like regular maintenance, anything that's a rigging system, anything that's for overhead lifting, I believe is how OSHA puts it, is supposed to be inspected annually. So our chain hoist, when we're doing concerts, we make sure that those are ripped apart and inspected annually by a competent person, qualified, you know, the, the whole gamut of that. Um, but we don't do that that much in schools. Things like the curtains should be flame checked. And it's not a difficult test, but you need somebody who knows what they're doing to come into the school and do those tests on an annual basis. And one of the complaints that I hear a lot is, well, that's really expensive to do. So USITT put together a grant program to help high schools get their rigging inspected. And part of that is the person will come in and do the inspection, but then they'll also do training for the teachers and students. So you don't have that runaway situation. So you've got more people trained to know what to do. Yeah. And there's some, hopefully it's some documentation because that's the other thing that happens as a teacher leaves and a new teacher comes in, there isn't always anything there or they don't know where it is so they don't even know what they have and they are rightly very focused on their students and and teaching them and and loving them and and they don't ever learn the technology that's there let alone the risks that are inherent in that technology and in the facility so yeah education huge opportunity and that's absolutely the esa has our has our eyes on that Hey, it's almost a Hamilton reference um, <laughs> uh, to to get to get more more people talking about this and more people focused on keeping the kids safe, having the kids learn. Frankly, if we can have students do active shooter drills, we can talk to them about leading edges and orchestra pits and and of course hanging things above people. We don't even have to use the word rigging. You hang something over somebody's head. It shouldn't fall down. It's not complicated. It may be tricky, but it's not complicated. Well, and in school situations, that goes back to things that we're actually teaching in the other classes. So we're hanging things overhead. That's physics. We're using math to calculate how that should be done. And none of this is all that terribly difficult. I encourage anybody who goes into a venue where they don't know about the equipment that's in it, call the manufacturer. 
you know, when I walked into a new school and I had no clue, I can, hey, ETC, can you tell me about the system that you installed here? Oh, yeah, Christy, you have a blah, 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 and it was installed on this state. And then there was an upgrade on this state. And you should have X number of source fours, and you should have this. And a tremendous amount of help there. Plus, there's oftentimes online resources that the manufacturers have available, including some really good curricular things you can use to teach your students or teach yourself. So everybody listening, if you have a friend who's a teacher in a school who teaches something in the performing arts, again, and sometimes this chorus, sometimes it's band, sometimes it's dance, it's also obviously theater, but also it could be your AV club kids, which got me out of fabulous classes in the high school, for which I am eternally grateful. Um, these are resources that those people would definitely benefit from. Frankly, they'd learn how to use the technology better. and they'd improve the safety of their experience. Yeah. Um, Christy, you, you bring up a really good point about contacting the manufacturer. You know, in the other context in which we've been doing a lot of these podcasts talking about COVID-19, one of the questions that gets asked fairly often is, you know, how do I clean technical equipment? I don't know, but I know who does, the manufacturer. And so, either checking the manufacturer's instructions or contacting the manufacturer. What a smart way to find out how the people who design the piece of equipment believe it should be maintained. And that also helps you vo avoid voiding the warranty. So calling the manufacturer, asking someone who knows, what a good and simple idea that has <laughs> widespread application. So just wanted to underscore that point. Yeah, you can drop an entire countryman microphone into a giant pit of alcohol and it will not have any germs on it after that. It probably will also not work. So don't do that. That is that is, you know, ask countryman how to clean that expensive microphone. <laughs> exactly. And and also how to handle equipment, how to store equipment, um, batteries. You know, if you've got a cordless drill and you've got a battery on it, some batteries you can leave on the charger and you're going to be fine. Some that's not something you should do. So keep those manuals in hand. And so much of it's available online. You can probably just Google it and find it. But if not, I have yet to meet a manufacturer that does not want to be contacted by a high school teacher who wants to use their equipment in school. <laughs> Christy, you brought up some, sorry, Danielle, you brought up something else that I, I just want to comment on because I think it, again, raises issues that are much larger than just this specific context that you and Danielle are talking about, which I think is itself really important. But even beyond the school context, what we've been talking about here is accepting risks that need not be accepted simply because they have not yielded a catastrophe, although, Krista, you correctly point out that one of yours did. You know, So like a lot of people within the Event Safety Alliance, you have a safety origin story, which is really a lack of safety origin story. But the, the point that I wanted to bring up is something that I suspect some podcast listeners have heard of, which is called the Swiss cheese theory. And just because it keeps coming up in stuff that I've been reading over the last couple of months, I figure it's worth explaining. So very briefly, the Swiss cheese theory, imagine a, you know, a whole bunch of slices of Swiss cheese. This is sliced Swiss cheese. Um, 
and you know that it, Swiss cheese has holes, but if the slices are rotated just a little bit, usually the holes won't line up. And so at some point, if you stack enough slices of Swiss cheese next to each other, some slice, there'll be cheese somewhere so that there's not a hole that runs all the way through. So there can be a lot of holes, now draw to safety, there can be a lot of holes in one's safety net, one's safety apparatus, one's PPE, one's you know, administrative controls, you know, the usual NIOSH triangle of controls for safety measures. There can be a lot of holes in that triangle of NIOSH safety measures. Usually, even though there are a lot of holes, it does not yield disaster the way, Christy, you know, your situation did. But sometimes the Swiss cheese holes do line up and that's when we do have catastrophe. And so we get lucky a lot. We get lucky a lot. It doesn't mean that we're engaged in good or safe practices. It means that it's actually hard to mess up so many things that the holes in the Swiss cheese will line up all the way through. And that is, you know, that is a, a piece of good fortune for those of us who work in industries like live events that have a lot of moving parts. It's hard for the holes to all line up such that catastrophe is the end result. But the better course of action for us, as you, you guys are, are appropriately discussing, is to engage in reasonable safety measures so that you decrease the likelihood that the holes will ever line up. So it's worth putting a, a sort of you know, philosophical gloss on this, the Swiss cheese theory. It's a thing, you can look it up, podcast listener. Um, it's a thing and it will help you think about your own safety measures in the larger context of, well, you know, we've always done it this way and never had a catastrophe. That may not be because you're doing the right thing. It may just be that your number hasn't come up yet. The Swiss cheese theory will give you a little more hesitation about being cavalier about safety. So. And I would say with, with the number of shows that happen in schools and, and colleges, frankly, the chances of the Swiss cheese lining up just perfectly for you are higher just in terms of just pure numbers. And, you know, I've heard so many stories. Um, we had one here in Greenville, um, where a student was up in a lift being pushed around by another student with the outriggers out, like not in the machine, and they hit something and it tipped and the student fell out and she lived. Thank God. I mean, there were so many things wrong. The Swiss cheese was just, you know, it was a donut and it's that sort of thing. And because of that, the, the situation is now that they don't want to let anybody in the lift, you know? And it's like, <sighs> yeah, the, the pendulum tends to swing back really hard right. when you have an incident it's, it's, that happens. It's the overcorrection of, of the situation. It's like, we're going to eliminate the risk. Well, okay, but now we can't do anything and, and we can't teach people and, and we can't, access the lights you know it's, it's you know I it's often, that i often compare it to driving a car right we teach 15 and a half year olds 
about how to drive a car in a classroom. We run them through classroom portion first. Then we have them behind the wheel with a trained instructor with them for a while until they feel a little more comfortable. And we encourage them to drive with another person who has a lot of experience. And then finally, we give them the test and let them drive on their own. So we can do the exact same kinds of things in our safety training at all levels right? So you need to learn how to use uh, MEWP, which is what they're calling it now, aerial work platform, scissors lift, whatever kind of lift it is that you're working with. Read the book first, watch somebody else use it safely. Then we're going to have you use it under the watchful eye of somebody who knows what they're doing to give you feedback. Then finally, you're going to pass the test, hopefully. And once you pass the test, then you can use it on your own. And it's not like we're dreaming up anything that's new. We've already got this process. We just need to apply it to all of the different things that we do in theater. I'm always amazed when I walk into a school theater the first week of the year and there are kids with power tools out. Because if they have not gone through any kind of training on how to use that power tool, and again, the manufacturers all have wonderful manuals that go through step by step, you can't know that that student knows how to use the tool properly. Yeah, they have a pneumatic staple gun. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's got the word gun in it, guys. <laughs> that, that means that there's like pressure and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe we should not start here. There's a, a thing called a saw stop, which is a brand yes. of table saw. And it's the, lovely. The, the blade on it has a sensor so that if you touch it with your finger, it automatically immediately stops. And guys, if you have not seen it, go and look online for the video with the hot dogs and the saw stop. It, with, it retracts the blade down the second it, it gets that electrical feedback. And so instead of losing your finger, you lose, you get a little cut. It's, it's so much fun just to watch the video. <laughs> I have done it multiple times. <laughs> All right, I'm a safety geek, all right? We, we all know this already. That's okay. One of my favorite things to do is watch rigging gear get ripped apart. <laughs> Another thing I find quite often when I go into schools, well, the first thing I do when I walk into a building, because I do a lot of safety walkthroughs, is is there an adult who is in charge of this space? One person who's a singular point of contact who is ultimately the one who says yes or no and who has the authority to say yes or no to whatever you want to do. That individual has to be trained. They have to understand theater safety at a, a minutial, granular level. Uh, and they need to be somebody with some, some chutzpah because there are going to be times when you're going to have the mayor's daughter wants to do her aerial trapeze act in the middle of the stage <laughs> with no net. And that individual is going to need to be able to say, no, it's not safe and I'm not going to compromise. It's not going to happen on my stage. And then there's simple things, you know, it, has the place been swept and mopped in the last six months? Uh, can I get to the fire egress doors? Can I see the signs? Are they that's, illuminated? That's a huge one. Every time I go into a school theater, I'm like, the chair rack is in front of the exit door. That's not okay. You need to be able to get out. Especially yes. once you put the whole school in here. You're going yes. to need every inch of exit you have. Please put this somewhere else. Well, we don't have anywhere else. Well, you're going to have to find another place. I'm so sorry. I understand. Storage in the stairwells drives me crazy. You know, you, you can't be tripping over flats from 20 years ago when you're trying to evacuate an audience. Um, having trained crowd managers when you have events happening. It can't just be the moms that are coming in to watch their kids in the dance recital handing out the tickets. It's got to be somebody who understands how to get a crowd safely out of that space. 
Christy, you raised okay. several interesting points about crowd management, and I, I will just remind you and our dear podcast listeners that there is a brand new crowd management ANSI standard for those of us listening in the United States and, well, really around the world, because there is no other crowd management authority um, that has been vetted through a process such as the ANSI vetting process. So not only do we now have the NFPA Life Safety Code, NFPA 101, which obviously is excellent and we've all used it for many years, but there is also an ANSI standard, which has been jointly produced by ESTA and your very own Event Safety Alliance. Hurrah us! Um, so, Christy, thanks for the implied plug and the opportunity to make that implied plug and express one, because we're pretty proud of this crowd management standard. And, uh, you know, as soon as the final, you know, nip and tuck to the official document is done, uh, we will post it on our website. And obviously, it'll be available on the ESTA website as well. So there you go. Back to you guys. And it's great that you bring that up because ESTA has all of their standards available for free on their website. And that's another fabulous source of information for teachers and anybody, any theater practitioner. One of the other things that recently uh, came out, USITT has started a thing oh, a couple of years ago called the ESET, which is the Essential Skills Training. And we just are in the piloting stages of what we're calling the backstage test for high school students. It has safety woven throughout it, but it's a, a test that's designed for high school students to take. So there are a I think about 100 schools that are being involved in that pilot. But the test is available. Anybody can go online and take it right now and might be able to learn some things from that too. And we'll put the link in the show notes. Put the link in the show notes. Sounds great. Along that same line, there's this or great organization called the National Federation of State High School Associations. And the National Federation has a, a online theater safety training class that they've created. It was supposed to come out in June, but with all of the COVID things, they have been able to finish up that. But look for that coming out shortly from nfhs.org. And the other thing that they're working on is what we're calling the, what's called the aerosol study. So it's a university in Colorado that is looking at how or if we can safely reopen uh, in light of COVID-19. And the aerosol study is looking at how far your breath comes out and goes uh, in a variety of situations. So they've looked at singers, people playing a variety of different musical instruments. Um, and we're actually waiting this afternoon to find out more information on that. They've been releasing portions of it as they go along. Um, so that's another thing safety related that teachers and anybody can be looking at right now. Christy, where would one find that information when it is available? Because that, that is super important for anybody who puts a performer on stage, regardless of how old they are and what exactly they're doing. So how do we get that information when it comes out? So nfhs.org, it's an article that's on there. So they've already got the preliminary results of performing arts aerosol study depict hopeful outlook for future music activities. There's a long URL for you. Um, but if you just Google NFHS and aerosol study, it will come up. Uh, basically, what it comes down to is there's not much we can do. Um, because, <laughs> because well, that was less hopeful than I thought it would be. I know, I know. Well, well here's the thing. 
when I'm performing, if I'm singing, all right, my, my bachelor's degree is in voice. So if I'm singing in an operatic style, I'm projecting my sound far, far away from my body. I'm running a lot of air. And along with that air comes the moisture that's in my breath. And that goes out way far away from my body. So there are some, some people that have made masks that are specifically designed for singers that will allow your mouth to move more. But we still don't have a good way of stopping the airflow of all of that moisture. And along with the moisture, then goes the virus particles. And that goes into a whole epidemiologist. And I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But I will say that it doesn't. I, I was hoping that we could just wear masks and go back to school. It doesn't look very optimistic like that's going to be the case. Well, so we're going to, you know, wait for the results of the study and basically keep up the message of, you know, some things just have to wait because the risk is is really still very high. And hopefully as the, as the country gets the virus under control, hear me country, we need to get the virus under control uh, so that we can go back to doing shows and singing and all, all the fun stuff that, you know, we make our living supporting. So speaking of COVID, that has made all of this stuff a hot mess. One of the things I'm concerned about is that teachers that are already not comfortable with, with safety stuff are going to be so overwhelmed with the challenges of the school year um, that it's possible that this stuff will fall by the wayside. Alternatively, if they're just teaching online, maybe they can spend extra time talking about the safety features of their, you know, <laughs> that the mask will fall from the sky and, and, you know, put yours on before you help someone else. That's back. From, it's a joke from when we used to fly as well. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it, it underscores something that, again, Christy, you, you said earlier, which is sort of the learning arc of people in our industry that, you know, first we can learn by reading something and then we learn essentially as apprentices to someone who's more experienced. And then eventually, hopefully, we can do it ourselves. Well, really, it's important not to skip any of those steps. We do have an experiential-based industry. But the essential first step is actually learning what it is. So if we cannot do the experiential part yet because it's inconsistent with social distancing, well, let's at least lay a really firm foundation in the actual, you know, in, in the book learning part, in the part where one can walk you through analytically, you know, teaching dopey theories like the Swiss cheese theory and, you know, whatever else, you know, but apply an intellectual framework around these things so that, you know, one bright day when it actually is safe to get back out on, you know, into a theater, that we're ready. So, right. you know, I, I, I vacillate these days between just, you know, wanting to curl up in the fetal position and sleep for a few months like a bear during the winter versus, yeah, that's really not an option. Let's do something useful. And I think the something useful is what you guys are talking about, which is let's at least learn what we can using the tools that are available. And it turns out that video conferencing is pretty useful for some things. Right. It's not going to replace the high school musical. You know, you're not going to have 150 kids on stage working on the same show. It's just not logistically safe to do at this point in time. We're going to hope that we're going to be able to do that maybe in the spring or next year, but 
there are a few things that are going to have to happen epidemiologically in order for us to get to that point. And so what can we do? You know, theater people are great at making do with what they've got. We're used to putting on shows with two shekels and a piece of cardboard. So the Educational Theater Association has some things. If you go to learn.schooltheater.org, um, I'm working with a group of individuals there to put together things that you can use in your classroom, both safety related, but also curricular related. And again, all of these things are available to any theater practitioner at any level or anybody who's working in any kind of performing arts facility or house of worship or, or place where we do shows. Um, and the other thing is to consider, as you were just saying, there are days where you feel like you just want to curl up in a ball. That is perfectly normal and part of mental health. Mental health is part of safety too. So recognizing that, okay, today is not a day that I'm going to be able to give 100% because it's just not. And so my best today is going to be my normal 50% and that's going to be okay because tomorrow I might be at 75 and maybe the day after I'm at 120. So recognizing that we're all going through trying times. We're all hopeful, optimistic. We all dearly love our performing arts. We dearly miss being backstage and, and hearing the roar of the crowd and the smell of the grease paint. And we're just going to have to be patient. In the meantime, study, learn more safety things, listen to ESA podcast, and uh, <laughs> enjoy the camaraderie of friends via <laughs> telecommunication. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that kids of any level can learn this stuff. Just like you don't teach a first grader calculus, but you teach right. them addition. So, you know, kids can be taught about edges of the stage and not having drinks on the stage and making sure to keep the stage clean so that people don't trip and fall. And if you see something, tell somebody that it might need to be cleaned up. You know, that's all really, really important safety stuff that a first grader is absolutely qualified and capable so, you know, th think about who you're talking to as you, you know, work through your stuff and it's all scalable. And no, if you don't know it, there's somebody you can call to get help. Call Absolutely. the manufacturer. There, any of these organizations have people. Um, USITT is open to anybody who's interested in technical theater. You don't have to be a college professor to join it. You don't have to be a theater professional. If you like tech theater and hanging out backstage, USITT is great for you. Um, National Federation, and this is one of the cool things about this organization, they've got some online training classes in safety just in general about performing arts, like marching band. How do you keep your marching band safe when it's hot outside? Yeah, give them uh, water. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of the cool things about that is their membership on the performing arts side is like 20 bucks, and you also get a $2 million liability policy that goes along with it. So if you're a parent who's going into volunteer in a school and you might do something that could because you're not a super knowledgeable theater professional but you don't want to accept all of that liability you don't want to lose your house because you're volunteering that $20 liability policy could save a lot of people mm -hmm. anyway so if you have any questions that we could help you with contact us at info at eventsafetyalliance.org put podcast or Danielle in the subject line if, if you've got a question for me um, we also have ESAT training. You could become a member of the ESA. Uh, both those things are cheaper right now because we discounted everything because of COVID. And any closing comments? It all comes down to the attitude of the people you've got in the room. So if you've got somebody who comes from that, we've always done it this way, or I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do, 
they don't need to be in the room. We all need to be safe. So we all need to work together to be safe. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Chrissy Ross-Clausen, for, for joining us today. It's been fabulous. Thank uh, you thank so you. much for having me. <laughs> and thank you for, to Jacob for doing all of our editing and fixing the ums and hopefully editing out at least some of my dogs barking. And thank you, Steve, for taking time out of your day and on your way to your next webinar. Check out his website, which is uh, edelmanlawgroup.com to see where he's appearing at a <laughs> webinar near you. Uh, I'm right here in my office. <laughs> right here in his office. Uh, thank you all, guys. Be well and stay safe. <laughs> where are my children? They're supposed to be wrangling the dogs during this.